Bilingual in America. Tunei el loga fi America. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti. Bilingue in America. Ser bilingue en America. I'm Suzanne Music is powerful. With just a few notes, it can shift your mood and emotions. Throughout this pandemic, we have used music more than ever to show support to essential workers, tap into needed energy, and even provide comfort at our darkest moments. Keep listening in, and today you'll hear from four of our guests about the shared language they all speak, music. I had the opportunity to speak with Jimmy Bosch, a salsa trombonist and composer of Puerto Rican descent who was raised in New Jersey and has been performing across the globe for the past four decades. Today, Jimmy shares his love of language, his love of culture, and of course, his love of music. Let's listen in as he talks about the ways that he continues to grow his fluency as a musician and now as a Japanese language learner. So Suzanne, in interestingly enough, the way you describe this podcast, right, for this particular segment, which is about uh, music, right, you know, it, it comes to mind that I've traveled to over 70 countries and I've been exposed to so many languages, right? And I have been, for the most part, singing in Spanish all of my music. And in some cases, some songs, which I recently recorded in English, but singing in Spanish to people of so many countries who don't even understand the language but identify with the rhythms, the passion, the energy. Um, it's funny, we're doing this today. Just recently I decided to record a, a famous French song and I sang in French. The original song was just Couleur Café. It's interesting that I'm doing that now and it, it has inspired me to sing in, in other languages because just out of respect and honor to all of those people from all of those countries who have been listening to my music, you know, it's kind of cool. It's just a, it's a different thing for me right now. I think that's great as a, an artist for decades at this point, Jimmy, right? You've done a lot of things and continuing to grow what you love and right. finding new ways to keep it exciting, I think definitely is one of the your trademarks and what has kept you so current with every new generation of dancers, singers, musicians. So we talk about being bilingual in America, but yes. really with you, it's more like bilingual in America and beyond. You have spent a lot of time in Japan. So yes. talk a little bit about what that is like, right? For someone, a Puerto Rican, lived in New Jersey, performed in New York, all over the world, like you said, 70 countries in English and in Spanish, predominantly in Spanish, and now to be in Japan. And what is your experience there in terms of music, bilingualism? Wow. So I've been, I've been in and out of Japan for maybe 10 years or better now. Uh, my girlfriend or mother of my child is Japanese. And we have a 14-month-old uh, Japarican boy. <laughs> He's beautiful. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, a little Tano Kiseki, which means, Tano means happiness, Kiseki means miracle. So my son's name literally is, is Happy Miracle. You know, my wife talks to, to Tano-chan in Japanese only. And when I was home before June, I talked to my son in about five different languages because <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, 
it just comes out that way, you know, as much as I'm learning and I am studying, believe me, I'm still studying Japanese. I've learned how to read and write hiragana, katakana. Uh, kanji is a bit more challenging to say the least. I have to really, really focus to learn kanji. Um, but um, I speak I speak Japanese enough to defend myself and for the, the normal greetings. But on a music level in Japan, there are so many musicians that are already playing Latin music, salsa music. And interestingly enough, when I got there, I got connected. My wife's a musician, by the way. She's a flute player, tremendous, I mean, well-educated musician. The musicians in Japan who have been playing Cuban music, Afro-Cuban music, they sing this music phonetically, interestingly enough. You know, they have no idea what, in many cases, what the words mean. In some cases, they do because they are so exposed. And some of them go to Cuba on a regular basis, and they have force-fed themselves the language because they have fallen in love with the music, with the rhythms. My experience has been uniquely so much fun to be able to play with uh, great Japanese musicians. This music that I bring from home, from the New York area, New York, New York style Afro-Cuban music, New York, what we call salsa, right, an umbrella term. Now I, I'm able to speak to my Japanese musician friends in Japanese, and they speak to me a little bit in Spanish. It's, it's, it's a bilingual love affair. It's just, it's just fabulous to be able to speak uh, more than one language, no matter how you splice it, and no matter where you are in the world. For music, which is the universal language when you don't use words, um, by way of rhythms and melodies and harmonies, everybody gets it, everybody feels it, if the music is such to make you feel it, you know? So music, <laughs> Spanish, English, Japanese, and, and a few words in about 10 other languages, you know, usually at my shows, I say thank you in about 12 different languages. People think I know more than that, but I, I really only know just. Arigato gozaimasu, shishi, you know, komsamnida, obligato, gracias, grazie. Well, anybody who's in the audience then feels acknowledged, right? And, and it just shows, it's a level of respect that you're Absolutely. showing your fans. So I think that's beautiful, right? They come and support you and you're showing that you support them uh, as well. And as you said, Jimmy, music is that universal language for humans, for humanity. Exchanging talents and passions can make this world a better place and make it sound and look more beautiful. So we well, encourage you to do that. Well, uh, you know what it is, Suzanne? Uh, the beautiful thing is that when we are in the grips of music, rhythm, sound, melody, passion, energy, we, we forget we're different. We don't even think about it because it's a meditative, it's a yoga experience because we all zone into that one place where we're celebrating life. And that, my dear, is a beautiful, beautiful place to be. And it's probably why I still do this, you know. Music is not who I am, but it is what I do. And I'm so very blessed to do what I do. And that is your superpower. So uh, Thank you. I'm really glad that you found some time to, to speak with me, to share with our listeners, and really um, keep everyone's feet tapping as we get ready to welcome 2021. Gracias. Arigato gozaimasu. Yarina Sencion spoke with Deborah Resto, who was born and raised in Spanish Harlem. Deborah shares how being bilingual informed her journey with music, 
language learning, and her overall practices as an educator. Deborah speaks Portuguese, Spanish, and English, and can perform in all three languages. Let's listen in. So Deborah, I want to welcome you today. Thank you so much for agreeing to speak with me about this topic on music and bilingualism, and it's how we want to end our year with a with a big musical bang. So I'm so excited to have you as an educator and a musician. Do you create music in both languages? Yes, I do, actually. I actually three languages, Spanish, English, and Portuguese, because I studied Portuguese. I just loved it so much. I, I studied Portuguese because of the music. I love their music. So I, I had to take a language in college and studied it. So is there a language that you prefer more than the other? Well, I, I love, I love my Spanish. I do. I really love our native, my native tongue, Spanish, you know. But I have to tell you, Portuguese is absolutely amazing. And then, of course, after studying Portuguese for about four or five years, I did the, the Ancestry DNA, and guess what was in there? What? <laughs> He's Portugal. <laughs> oh, so that's definitely a reason why that spoke to your heart. I guess. My mom always said, la sangre llama. How beautiful. So what's your earliest bilingual music memory? Because there must have been something musically and language-wise that just called to you. I grew up in New York, you know, I, I grew up with my grandmother and she was blind. So the TV wasn't on, it was the radio. <laughs> and the radio was uh, Radio Wado back in those days. And it was all Spanish. You know, as I got older and you're living in New York, you're listening to The Temptations, The Four Tops, Barbara Streisand. And you're listening to Tito Puente, Tito Rodriguez. But um, to get to your question on how, how far back I remember being bilingual or in a bilingual world, my grandmother, she didn't speak English. So I had to be her voice. I had to be her translator. And I was only four, four or five years old. So I would mm -hmm. take her to the stores early in the day, walking, because we lived in the Bronx. And wherever we went, I had to speak for her. So as early as four or five years old, she would teach it to me through the Spanish Bible. And she would tell me, whatever you don't understand, spell it. And I will tell you what the word is. And that's how I really, really got to learn my Spanish well. You know, our grandmothers, they were so wise. They just understood the importance of family, of heritage, of culture, of traditions, and not letting go of those things. How does being bilingual help you with your music? Or how does your music help you with your bilingualism? Yeah, they, they, they kind of intertwine in waves. You know, they just intertwined. So for example, during my college years, I was translating in Spanish for Willie Colon. And he, at that time, salsa was starting to pick up on Brazilian music. And so they started to do things with it. And uh, Willie Colon had me translating for him. And I tell you, when you translate 
And you have to delve in deep in order to make a good translation because when you translate, it, literal translation for music is, it never works. So you, it has to be more of a poetic um, translation. So in order for you to do poetic translation, you have to really dig in deep to the meaning of, of words. And, and yeah, as you know, there are so many variations of the same word, you know, is it blue? Is it sky blue? Is it baby blue? You know what I mean? It's, it's, there's so many variations. So that started to make me very sensitive towards lyrical, that when I would write music and I would write songs, opened up another dimension of thinking towards writing lyrics that you probably can't get, you know, just in a, in a college setting. But if you really dig in deep into the, into the language, I mean, into, into writing for other people, the sentiment right, yeah, then it gets really, really profound. So I would say, you know, they, they intertwined, you know, the, the, the vibration of the sound of Brazilian music is so different, you know, from ours, from the Spanish music, English music. You do it enough, you start borrowing, you know, and you start getting very interesting mixes of sounds, like a toolbox, you know, or like a palette. That's what I like to call like artists have on their palette. It starts to become really, really fun, really interesting. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate what you said in terms of how it had to be poetic and not literal mm -hmm. and how, you know, sometimes we think that interpreting or translating is, is straight, but they really have to dig deep. I really appreciate that. So Deb, our yeah. hashtag mm -hmm. is speak your beauty. And I know that there are many ways that you speak your beauty. Can you share just a couple or your favorite way that you speak your beauty? Well, I know now that, you know, I, I have a lot of memories of teaching, you know, the little ones. I know one of them was just fun, you know, like I, I would catch them in some kind of mischief and I would say, mira que es eso, pan con queso. You know, the <laughs> rhyming, que es eso, pan con queso. And the kids would just die laughing. And then I would tell them, don't tell the principal that. And then they would, of course, go ahead and tell the principal. And she would come back to me laughing. What is this? And then as a performer, what's really fun about after you've translated a lot and you've made yourself familiar with a lot of different variations of expression from Brazilian to Spanish to English and so on. I would say when I was teaching, yeah, I was teaching a lesson on the song, The Prayer, uh, that Celine Dion sang with Andrea Bocelli, yes. I was teaching fifth grade and uh, general music is very difficult in school because we tend to get the kids that don't want to play an instrument. So I always, I had to alter my lessons. And um, I decided to teach this song, uh, The Prayer, because it had Italian in it. And Italian is a romance language. It has a tendency to sound very similar to Spanish. Controversy happened in the classroom. You know, all the Spanish kids, well, I don't speak Italian. And all the Italian kids, well, I don't speak Spanish. 
and all the other kids, Irish and African-Americans, I don't speak Italian or Spanish. What are you trying to do here? You know, everybody had an attitude. And what I did was, was relate first to the, the Spanish kids. And I said, okay, I'm going to choose this phrase right here. And let's see what it is. And the, one of the phrases was, soñamos un mundo. Some of them, you know, they couldn't really get it quick. And I said, okay, senza più violenza. What is violenza? And kids are, oh, violence, violence. And then I'm like, mondo, mondo, soñamos. Oh, and they would go, we dream of. And I go, right, soñamos mondo. World, mundo, world. And there started to be this really incredible interest when, and it, it did, it brought a lot of unity and respect for each other's culture. All of a sudden, that first attitude that we started with, and it was a, it was a beautiful thing. That's, that's what I remember best about um, getting into language and culture and encircling everybody with the beauty of, of everybody's um, soul, really. So you spoke your beauty by bringing unity in the classroom mm -hmm. and, yes. uh, and a glimpse into someone else's world. Absolutely. It was wonderful. Deborah, I, that is like the last thing I expected you to share. You've touched my heart so deeply. And I truly thank you for your devotion to your education of students and your devotion and your passion to your lifelong uh, mission, which has been music and how yeah. music can heal and music can bring unity. Absolutely. So I thank you. I wish you a very happy new year. And I can't wait until we start a new chapter, a new year and a new adventure. I recently caught up with Galit Dardashti, a Middle Eastern vocalist and composer and anthropologist. Galit is working to carry on her family's musical tradition. She uses her knowledge of Hebrew, Arabic, and Persian, along with her talents as a musician, to gain entree into new spaces. Let's listen in as she shares how she has been able to use all of her passions to continue her journey of bilingualism. Galit, welcome to our podcast, and thank you for making time. I know you're a busy mom and a musician, and so finding a few minutes to speak with us is not often easy, but I really appreciate you joining us today. Of course, I'm happy to be here. Lily, why don't you start off by just sharing a little bit about what you do, how you perform, and how you came into this amazing talent of yours. Oh, thank you. Well, I have been performing music ever since I was born, really. My parents met through music and were performing together before I was born. So it was sort of destined that I was um, go music was going to be a part of my life in some way. And... I ultimately went to graduate school, got a PhD in cultural anthropology, and I knew, I mean, I, I went because I was interested in studying cultural politics and music. And so I didn't really know that I was going to be able to continue performing, but, um, but I was able to sort of fuse the two. And so I do anthropologist, and I'm also a performer of Middle Eastern Jewish music. I could say a lot more about it, but, but I perform mostly, I would say, in Hebrew and perform sacred Middle Eastern Jewish music. 
I'm fascinated to hear that you're an anthropologist, right? So your perspective is very unique than say some of the other guests that we've had on our show. What do you feel is the reason that led you to perform predominantly in Hebrew as opposed to English? It's a really interesting question. I don't know the answer except for growing up, my father was a cantor, a professional cantor in a synagogue. I've always been very comfortable chanting and singing in Hebrew because, you know, I grew up um, in the synagogue and I grew up singing in Hebrew. And it came to me naturally. Now, the Middle Eastern Jewish part, I didn't grow up with as much. So that, that I, I guess I was drawn to. And I've always, in a certain sense, felt more comfortable singing in Hebrew than in English. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. And one of them is I sing sacred music primarily. Um, not exclusively, but mostly I sing sacred music. And I actually think that I don't feel as comfortable. I wouldn't feel as comfortable singing those same words if they were in English. Singing in Hebrew gives me a certain kind of freedom. Even though I speak the language, it's still another language. And the Hebrew is, it's more like sort of speaking in Shakespeare, you know, it's older and it's, well, more mystical, more spiritual. And so the language allows me to go more deeply than I think, I think it would be much more difficult for me to say those same words in English if, if I was singing them. And so that's a big part. And I also can somehow lose myself in, in singing in Hebrew. Yeah, I'm just in it more when I'm singing in Hebrew. You definitely grew up um, in the synagogue with music, with prayer. And yes. so that's clearly how the, the connection began for you. Yes, exactly. Here on the show, we talk about being bilingual as being a superpower. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if you feel that you have like this double superpower because music is its own language. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, the combination of, of music and, and language gives me the ability to enter spaces that I wouldn't normally be able to enter. And the fact that I speak English, it also allows me to bring in this music into spaces that normally it wouldn't be because I can contextualize it. And then there, it, there's a lot of levels to it. I feel like one of the big goals that I have in the work that I do both artistically and academically is to demonstrate to people that there aren't these boundaries that we think exist culturally or even through language. And so you can see that often because I will, I will sing a song, for instance, in Hebrew that was originally sung in Arabic, for instance. Okay. And this is something that is, that happens throughout the Middle East. Jews who lived in the Middle East, you know, who are Arab Jews or Turkish Jews or Persian Jews, they were, you know, culturally, they lived the the culture of whatever culture, whatever country they lived in. And so what did they want to do? They wanted to take the music from, uh, and I should say also that these, these Middle Eastern Jews were very active in the musical culture. And so they would take those same songs from the secular world and they would write religious lyrics to these same melodies. And 
I'm trying to show people by performing them that, you know, these cultures were not ever separated. They were always completely fluid mm -hmm. and um, people always lived in a very mixed fashion. And so I will sing, for instance, a song in Hebrew that was originally in Arabic. And then I will sing part of it in Arabic or part of it in Persian or, you know, something like that, to, to basically show people that these boundaries that we think exist, whether they're religiously or through language, that ultimately there's so much that we share. Sure. So I'm thinking about the idea of this fluidity, right? Countries have borders, but language and music can transcend those borders. And over time, depending on the century, borders change. And when we have diaspora people, these things continue to happen, whether it's 100 years ago or even present day. 100%. And relationships change, you know, with people. And my grandfather, for instance, who was Iranian, star of Persian classical music, he was a singer in Iran, he would travel to Israel. He moved to Israel at a certain point in the 1960s, and he would travel to to Iran for performances and come back to Israel and, you know, back to Iran. For, so those kinds of things that people say, what, that happened? You know, it wasn't that long ago. So relationships, the way things are today and the way our relationships are with certain countries, et cetera, they're not necessarily, they haven't always been that way. So I try to remind people of that through the work that I do, both performatively and through my writings. The other question I have, we'll just go back to a little bit about your work as an anthropologist, right? And a musician and a human, a mom, right? A wife, a singer, you have so many different roles that you play based on all of these experiences. You know, this idea of a, a family dynasty, right? Your grandfather, your father, you, how do you want to leave your mark? I think that I feel like there's no end to what I want to be able to do. And that's what makes it sort of challenging, but also exciting. There's so many possibilities. So I, f I feel a responsibility to, to put out as much music as possible. I'm working on another album right now. And yet I'm also working on this completely academic book. And it's very exciting for me to be able to do all of the things that I do. It's a little exhausting sometimes too, I must uh, I must say. It's good that everybody can't see the bags under my eyes right now. <laughs> it's exciting. I'm really excited about a lot of things. I usually ask our guests, how do you speak your beauty? But I think you just shared that for us uh, in, in sharing the projects that you are bringing forth to light. I thank you for your time and your talents. We look forward to watching you to continue to speak your beauty. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yarina and I decided that to close out 2020, we would conduct our final interview together. We spoke with Gary West, the Director of Fine Arts and Elementary Summer School for the White Plains City School District. Gary has worked in public education for over 20 years. He earned his Master of Music Arts from Yale and has taught every grade, kindergarten through 12. Let's listen in as he shares about the added value of music in our students' lives and his hope that we get to a point where we talk about music for music's sake. We're so excited to have you on. Uh, we respect you as a practitioner and as a leader, and we just know how much passion you have for your craft. So this is a very special conversation for us and ending the year on an upbeat note. Pun intended, right, Yarina? <laughs> Pun intended. Exactly. 
Exactly. <laughs> Gary, why don't you start off by just sharing, you know, with us as a K through 12 fine arts director, what does the research say about the added value of music for second language learners or for bilingual students? So, well, first of all, thank you for having me and having worked with the both of you for many, many years now. Um, I have a lot of respect for what the both of you do as well. And I just love working with you both. And it's a pleasure to be here and to talk to you about this. So there's been a lot of research over the many decades about language acquisition and music. And it, while it's not necessarily specific to bilingual education, it obviously applies to any language, whether it's a first language, a second language. You know, music is, as everyone hears all the time, its own language, right? So learning music is just like learning any language. I like to think that everyone's bilingual because everyone can be a musician, right? So music is its own language. So whatever language you also speak, your first language plus music is your second, and if you're learning in third, um, that's kind of how I think about it. And there's a lot of research that kind of supports that everything you learn in music is the same the way you learn language, right? So it's the best to be immersed in music, to experience the music. You don't need to know all the rules, right, until you actually have an experience with it, just like kids learn to speak a language. You know, the easiest and best way is just to be immersed and thrown into it. You don't need to understand why you're doing it or how you're doing it or the rules behind it until later. So music is the same. You know, when you think about phonemic awareness and phonemes, you know, they're sounds. And music is the same way. You know, notes are sounds. And first you learn the sounds and then you learn how to put them together and make phrases, which is just like making a sentence. And then later you might learn about how it makes sense and how it all fits together. Going through that experience of learning music is just like learning a language, so it just strengthens those synapses in your brain. I love that, the idea that you don't have to know why it all works, you just have to put it together. And that's so true, right, as, as we think about what we read and what we've seen as educators in terms of language acquisition. Yeah, it's partly why we focus in early in early elementary years, just giving kids quality experiences. It's just like life, right? Kids that don't have a lot of vocabulary often don't have a lot of experiences to draw upon. So we try to create experiences for them so that they can have something to write about or something to talk about. It's the same with music. You give them a lot of experience and then as they get older, you start to talk about those experiences and how they make sense and how, um, how they work, how the, what the rules behind them are. During the summer school season, one of the things that you do is you begin each day leading the children in song. A good portion of those children, I mean, roughly 75% are either heritage or second language learners. What do you think that value is for those students having that experience each morning? There's a lot of reasons behind that, Yarina. Partly because I know if I didn't do it, you, would, you wouldn't forgive me because you want to music every morning. But that, that, that speaks to community, which I'll talk about in just a minute. There, again, there is a lot of research about this, but when students sing and when you add reading to that, so you know in the morning when I do that with the kids, I always have the words up on the screen. So if you sing and read and move, it works all parts of your brain, right? It works the right side, the left side, and just you're firing on all, all cylinders when you put all three of those things together. So it really invigorates the brain and wakes you up not just physically doing the movement, but also just in your brain, it gets you ready for learning. And there's obviously with any music, a big listening element. So it also just wakes up your listening skills, gets you ready to go into the classroom. So those are all the research-based things. But you know, what I think the arts do the best is build community and it's fun. 
I mean, honestly. It's, it's certainly fun for the teachers and it does bring a great deal of joy. And actually the movement really helps them learn the songs very quickly because they associate the movement with the words and the words with the music. And then as you said, it brings a lot of joy. So there's that whole emotional piece that also is connected, which again, relates back to just using all parts of your brain when you put all those things together. This routine that you have embedded as a part of the culture of summer school, the children are glad to come, whether it's their first time or maybe they've been in summer school more than one. So, well, first of all, just to comment on what you just said, a lot of the reason kids like to come to school is because of the teachers that are in the program. You know, that yes, the music adds to it, but summer school teachers are a special breed, right? Those that are willing to give up part of their summer to come and work really have a passion for it. So I had to say that. We really want you to, to share about the mariachi bands because we really feel that that exemplifies a beautiful opportunity for children to experience music and culture in a way that may not be one that they have had at home. So can you just share with our listeners about the Phenom Mariachi I'd, lo I'd love to. So our high school mariachi band, when it was created, was is the, it may still be the only public school mariachi band in the state of New York. <laughs> the only, at least the only um, high school mariachi band in a public school in New York State. And it really grew out of students right a particular family who 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 were um, who are a mariachi band professionally and we had a particular student who was not super motivated at school in general but played the violin like breathing you know it was just nothing for her she just could do it do it all and she had this amazing you know voice for singing in a mariachi band so the orchestra director at the high school decided to create this mariachi band. And so that's kind of how it started and it became so popular. So we have a lot of students from Mexico in our district. You know, it just blew up for a number of reasons because the kids are really talented and they don't start at high school, right? They start at the elementary school, learning to play instruments, learning to sing. And by the time they get to high school, they're ready to have some of these really quality experiences. So the kids, you know, of all cultures and backgrounds just joined in and love it, right? So that student has now graduated, but it continues as strong as ever you know and it's all about joy it's all about culture and I just to speak to that for one second like I get worried because our high school orchestra director has done several workshops about how to start a mariachi band you know in, in a school and people love it but there's been several teachers that have said oh well we don't have a very diverse population in our district we're mostly white so we wouldn't do this and I hear that a lot when people present about anything that has to do with race or culture or um, multiculturalism and it worries me so much because the districts that need the kids that need to experience multiculturalism and different cultures are the students that live and and go to school in districts that don't have a lot of diversity right so in white plains we have a lot of diversity kids live it on a daily basis bringing that to education is so important to reflect the culture of our students but if you work and live and go to school in an all-white district, you need it more than ever because you don't have the experience in any other way. And I think music is such a great way to address all kinds of cultures. The arts in general are. And, you know, so it worries me that there are teachers with the mindset that because their district isn't diverse, they don't need to worry so much about creating a diverse curriculum. Um, and I think it's quite the opposite. They need it more because with the racism that we've experienced in this country, it's people that are uncomfortable with other cultures and people that are different than them. Everyone needs to be exposed to different cultures and different kinds of people. And music is just a great and easy way to do it. It's just such a great bridge to do that. 
it really grew out of the students that we have in our district. But what's great is that it reaches all kinds of students from all different backgrounds and they all love it and respect it and enjoy it. You know, Gary, one of the reasons why Suzanne and I started this podcast is because we wanted to do our part in terms of social justice and creating more awareness, opening more minds, more hearts. And so we know that this is a continuous conversation that we have to be mindful of. And so thank you for sharing that very vulnerable issue that we continue to march on. And we certainly do love um, the mariachi band for that reason, because it's inclusive, because it really exemplifies that we're more human than anything else first and foremost. And we really appreciate all that you do, Gary, all that you do for students, for families, for educators, and for the music world. And so we're going to say, let's continue, let's march on, have a wonderful new year, and thank you so much for having this conversation with Suzanne and I. Thank you, thank you for the work you're doing and thank you for having me, it was a pleasure. Sharon Alfonsi of 60 Minutes recently referred to musicians as acoustic acrobats and there is no denying the benefits of music. So much so that the role of music in the development of our brain has even caught the attention of neuroscientists who are using MRI imaging to learn more about how music impacts our brain's functioning. Sound familiar? If it does, that's because earlier this season, we talked about brain imaging and the role it's playing in understanding language development. There are so many parallels between music and language. And as we heard today from our guests, music is its own language. Music transcends borders, unites, heals. I can only hope that the conversation in the world of education remains open to making music accessible to all students at all levels. We know that marrying music and language development has many benefits for individuals and for the community as a whole. And as we bid adieu to 2020, whether you're seven or 77, give a listen to some old favorites or something new. Either way, may 2021 be the year we stop asking why and begin asking, why not speak your beauty? Have a happy and healthy start to the new year. Thank you for your interest in the stories we share by sharing, following, and liking our podcast on anchor.fm Bilingual in America and our Instagram blog at bilingualinamerica.podcast. You are speaking your beauty. We welcome your comments and feedback. Follow us, like us, share us.